John Ashman, Cairn University social work graduate of 1974, joins us today on the podcast. You'll hear today about John's work as president of CityGate Network, a brief history of the rescue mission in America, and a bit about his time at Cairn via the Cairn 10. You're listening to the Cairn 10 podcast, where we bring our alumni back inside Cairn University in just 10 minutes. Mr. John Ashman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Good to be back on campus. I wanted you to talk about your work at CityGate Network. What does it entail? What is CityGate Network? CityGate Network is actually a new name, Nate. It is the new DBA for what has been the Association of Gospel Rescue Missions. That name started in 1990. Before that, it was the International Union of Gospel Missions. What I find very interesting, if you look outside the chapel and you look at your history wall, uh, the very beginning, the seeds of Cairn University started at the Bible Institute of Pennsylvania, which took place in Christ Rescue Mission in a rented room back in 1913. So we kind of came that, out of the same kind of work. But uh, CityGate Network is uh, is a rebranding for uh, for missions, which have been throughout America since the the late 1870s. Mm. Um, you've gone back to 1913 and kind of started at that point. So when we look at the his- history of the rescue mission in the United States, can you kind of walk us through that, uh, that sort of evolution, if there has been an evolution of that? Well, missions in North America um, used to be about that long line of men winding around the block looking for three hots in a cot. These were men who were functional at one time, but because of an addiction, and I say men because they were almost entirely men, uh, because of an addiction became dysfunctional. And they, they came to a mission to start to work their way back to functionality. Um, that's the way it was through the... Uh, through the Roaring Twenties, uh, when alcohol just was all over our country, uh, when the, the Depression came, there were other people who came still looking for th- that assistance. During World War II, you have the people who were coming back from overseas with post-traumatic stress disorder but never realized it. And through every decade, there was another layer that was added. Uh, in the 1970s and 80s, we did something in North America, and that was we, we uh, closed our what we called insane asylums. And uh, we said, no longer do you have to be trained to, chained to a wall. Take these psychotropic drugs and go home and live with your family. Uh, about 30% did, and about 70% went out on the streets. And that's when uh, we started to see a lot more women coming to missions in those days. So these weren't people then who were functional at one time. These were people who were never functional coming to missions. And that's the way it progressed even into the 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 beginning of the 21st century. And uh, as you know, with the Great Recession changed things even more. Uh, Instead of getting a lot of people who were chronically homeless, we were getting people who were just experiencing homelessness. I had a director who told me, uh, John, I've got people who are emailing me asking, making reservations to come to a mission. Hmm. So we've, we've seen so many transitions in all of that. And the question I get asked most often is, well, where are things? Are, are we seeing a decrease in all of these problems? And the answer is no, we're not. We're, we're seeing an increase. And uh, you'll, depending on who you listen to, which government agency, you know, you'll hear those, these numbers are going down. But the, the agencies even are in conflict with their numbers. It's sort of like whack-a-mole. You remember you used to play down oh, at the yeah. Ocean City Boardwalk? You know, it pops up over here. Look at this. Sacramento has a decrease. But over here, Memphis is up. And, you know, all those kinds of things are happening. So our missions are still working to provide 
the relief services, which is very, very important, but also uh, life transformation services, which is the core of what we do. Mm. So it sounds like from what you're saying, there are even more people today than one might think who are thinking of accessing rescue missions and taking advantage of that opportunity than maybe in the past. Indeed, yes, uh, because um, there are not a lot of options to people coming into the country for the first time. We we call ourselves CityGate Network now, and uh, that really uh, kind of speaks to who we serve and what we do. You know, the city gate, uh, days of old, that was uh, where the stranger came. And and it really wasn't just a doorway. It was that vestibule to the city. Usually there was an inner gate and an outer gate, and that area there was where – the services were available for somebody coming in on the run. They could stop running. They could get water. They could get something to eat. They could ask questions. Where do people who speak my language live in this part of the city? Uh, the, the public officials were there. Court was held there. You could buy uh, cheap commerce was was going on there. Abraham and Lot sat in the city gate, not at the city gate, but in the city gate and welcomed the stranger. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of the first place you come. Our tagline for City Gate Network is enter here, start anew. And people say, isn't the church the city gate? Well, it could be, but I'll take you to a lot of downtown urban areas where a church is padlocked until 10 of 11 on a Sunday morning. Or some people say, you go to that church, the family will never talk to you again. Well, isn't the the government the city gate? Well, it could be, but today people are saying, go to the government, they're going to take your kids away. Mm. Or you may be on the next plane to Mexico City. So where do people go in need? And it's the city gate. And so we're collaborating with more and more people. We've rebranded because, first of all, the Association of Gospel Rescue Missions is a mouthful. Uh, but, you know, there are, there are certain aspects to that, that that are really changing. The word rescue, interestingly, gets a little pushback these days from millennials who are saying, yeah, I can understand Christ rescued us and, you know, when I were, we were in sin and transgressions, but um, I don't want to be seen as a superhero flying in with my cape fluttering in the breeze, uh, trying to pluck somebody out of their poverty and fix them. I want to see, be seen as journeying with them, both of us in brokenness, reaching wholeness together. Mm-hmm. And, and we understand that, and we're not telling our member organizations to change their name, but we are saying for us, because we are collaborating with more and more organizations, CityGate Network is the perfect word picture of who we should be. And would be would it be a fair summation in part of what a CityGate is to say that you partner with hundreds of rescue missions around the United States primarily and provide support, guidance, perhaps advocacy, and is, is that a fair way of putting well, it? Well, the way it really works, we are an association okay. uh, at the core, even though it's no longer in our name. So missions choose to join us. So we have about 300, like I mentioned, actually 297, I think, have currently paid their dues. 315 think they've paid their dues. Okay. So somewhere <laughs> in between there is our membership. And as new mem- new missions come online, or start up, they're usually small for a lot of reasons. You just can't build big missions anymore because of government regulations and funding restrictions. Uh, they, they can be part of the association. So we provide to the people who run missions what you know, the American Dental Association would be for dentists or something like that. Right. And then we encourage them to partner with other organizations, uh, uh, Youth and Teen Challenge, uh, Goodwill, Salvation Army, and, and all of those other smaller organizations within their cities. All right. What responsibility do Christians have uh, in light of these kinds of issues? And, and of course, there are many, many 
um, very, very significant and meaningful opportunities for Christians to get involved in organizations uh, and to help and to support. Um, but how do you process that this particular, the, the rescue mission, uh, the issues that surround why people come to rescue missions, how do you process the Christian's responsibility with that? And is there any way in which your time here as a student in the social work program, back when Dr. Furness was running it, uh, that, that have influenced your thinking even now, just a few years later? You, you just graduated just a few years ago. A few years ago, ago yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Well, there, there's a lot of people who come to me and ask the question, what are we supposed to do? The Bible says something about the poor. In fact, it says it quite often. I think Jesus wants me to do something. What do I, what do, I do? And the, my first answer is, well, you can't make a difference from a distance. You've got to get there and see what's going on. And what that means is just don't send a check uh, at, at Thanksgiving uh, or, or at that time of year, a lot of people say, hey, let's go down with the family and we'll serve. And then you kind of forget about it. There, there are people who are hungry, homeless, abused, and addicted who are going to be hungry, homeless, abused, and addicted the third week in February as well. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be engaged. And I would encourage people, uh, get engaged with an organization that's making a difference. Uh, independent endeavors are wonderful uh, because they teach the people who are doing them things, but they don't do a lot for those people who are poor and on the streets. Uh, you know, you see the youth groups saying, hey, we're all going down to, to Acacia Park and we're taking pizzas. We have 40 pizza boxes in the back of the van. And, and they go down and they give out the pizzas and, and they're, they're talking, I'm giving this to you in Jesus' name. And they, and they have a great time. And then they leave. Sometimes they take the pizza boxes with them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they think, wow, what do we, this is wonderful what we just did. And I'm saying, no, you, you took another step forward in being a poverty pimp because you handed out pizzas and you said in in so many words, stay here because tomorrow night the Methodist church is coming and then the Episcopal church is coming with burritos. And we're, we're talking about how do you move people to a place of from human suffering to human flourishing. And it has to start with relationships that are built over time and then working with not only education but also uh, career planning and jobs and housing and those kinds of things. It takes time and it's so overwhelming when we see the number of people on the streets, but you have to have the relationships. And the way you do that is work with an organization that is already making a difference and find out what they're doing and see what their outcome numbers are. And that's who you engage with. And does does CityGate Network provide that opportunity for people to discover good good locations to do that? Well, certainly on our website, you can see all the member organizations that we have in this area, Sunday Breakfast Rescue Mission, Whosoever Mission. There's several of them through here down the shore, Atlantic City Rescue Mission. Out in Lancaster, you have uh, Water Street Mission. So just in, engage on our website, www.citygatenetwork.org, and you can find a mission and get involved. In your time here as a student, uh, was there any aspect in which that shaped your overall perspective on these issues? Um, the people who I had as professors, uh, you, you mentioned Charles Furness, uh, um, loved the man and, uh, and just was so in- engaging and, uh, and compassionate. You know, he, he ran a mission, Goodwill Mission, up in, in uh, North Jersey in Newark for years. And so uh, he took that over from his father-in-law, in fact. And the opportunity to go and spend time on the streets with with him and others who were in the department 
really was what caught my attention. It was the field work. It was the time out there, not just sitting in class. You know, I'm a hands-on person. And so you have to be out there on the street to do things. So that's what I appreciate about that. In fact, uh, Dr. Furness's two daughters were both on the CityGate Network board uh, at different times, uh, Janet and Margie. And so it's, uh, we're trying to keep it in the family a little bit. Well, thanks for joining us, John, and, and for being here today at Cairn and speaking to our students, among other things. And thank you, alumni, for listening. You know, our social work students, like so many of our Cairn students, benefit from scholarship money, which is provided by the Cairn Fund. And when you consider the students who are studying today under our outstanding social work school, you realize that future leaders like John are being currently formed and shaped by those programs mm -hmm. at Cairn. But students' needs are great, and they can only come to Cairn because of the generous gifts made by friends and alumni like you. So please go to cairn.edu slash give and make a gift to the Cairn Fund. We are really grateful for your partnership in sending biblically-minded students out into so many fields, including social work, who are all making a tremendous impact. So thanks for listening, and stay tuned after a brief break for John's own Cairn 10. John Ashman, are you ready with your Karen 10? I'm nervous, but uh, go ahead. Let's see what you got. <laughs> All right. Who is your favorite professor? Oh, my goodness. So many good ones. Uh, I would have to say Mae Stewart. I didn't uh, do all that well in her classes, but I just love the woman. Which book did you read during your time that had the greatest impact on you? Mm, this has to be a trick question. I'm sure I'm supposed to say the Bible, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I think that was a time when Evangelism Explosion came out, and that was a very impacting book. What spot on campus do you remember the most fondly and why? I would have to say the eighth floor lounge in the building at 1800 Arch Street uh, after classes because that's where everybody gathered to just relax and watch Star Trek just after it came out for the first time. Nice. Which class rocked you most at the core? And you get a, a because on this one. Uh, I would have to say it was uh, May Stewart's classes on uh, philosophy and had to go deeper in life with her. Yeah. Who was your first roommate? Greg McCord from Delaware, and I still keep in touch with him. What was your favorite non-academic related thing to do while you were a student? Well, I was the editor of the college paper. It was called The Scroll then. I don't know what it's called these it's days. Called the Scroll now? Still called The Scroll. It's digital now. So, so I, I did that. I was in student government and uh, uh, and played tennis. So I would have to say the extracurriculars were, were, were fun. Which food in the cafeteria was your go-to? Uh, well, Wally was the cook, and I can re—I can see the food, but I never knew what it was called. But uh, he always had some great raisin bread that uh, you always grabbed an extra piece when you went back to the dorm is what I remember. What was your favorite off-campus spot to go with friends? Well, we used to, there was a guy named Craig Cleland, and he he had a bread truck. That was his his car. And he parked it over by the art museum, and we used to pile in the back of that, and we used to go out to Fairmount Park and play football uh, at dusk uh, every couple of nights. And so that was a fun place to go. What did you miss most after you graduated? Uh, certainly the friends and the dorm life, uh, having fun, but also talking about deeper things of life and where we wanted to go and what we hoped would happen one day. And what is the one thing about Cairn University that you hope will never change? Well, I think uh, it, it is something that as I look at the school, it hasn't changed and that's wonderful and that is its commitment to the Word of God and how it uh, imparts that in the lives of, of students so they can make a difference in the world. Ladies and gentlemen, John Ashman's Karen 10. <laughs>